All right, John's Gospel, chapter number 19. This morning as we begin, we certainly want to welcome you to the service and hope that your hearts are open and anxious to hear from the Lord's Word. As we look at uh, this week leading into Easter Sunday, it has uh, great significance to us. Of course, uh, we uh, know the history of the feast and how Jesus came in triumphantly, them expecting Him to make Himself the King uh, and to drive Rome out, and when they realized that that wasn't the reason that he was here, uh, they quickly turned on him. And so between now and next Sunday, uh, 2,000 or so years ago, had we been a citizen of Jerusalem observing these things, we would have uh, on today observed that grand entrance and by, uh, by midweek watched the Savior suffering for our sin in that process beginning. Uh, only to to resurrect to rejoice in his resurrection a week from now, and so uh, we're not those things are not lost on us this morning. I do want to uh, speak this morning on being near the cross, and so we when we talk about that, we talk about the cross. We uh, understand that we we see a cross every Sunday when we walk in behind me. We see crosses everywhere we go. We drive across town. That's a wonderful thing. I'm glad that in most cases we see a cross that's empty because the cross is empty. Uh, and so he's not in on the cross, nor is he in the grave. He is alive and well. Uh, and so we serve a risen Savior and we praise the Lord for that. But there are some things about the cross that I think will help us to just kind of reflect uh, and, and take in. I don't know about most people. For me, this is a week traditionally that I would have a lot of my normal things, of course, that I have to do. But... It's also a time in my personal devotional life I try to spend some time just reflecting on, uh, on the Lord and His sacrifice for me. Uh, and so we're going to kind of look at things that way this morning. In John chapter 19, when we begin reading here in verse number 17, we are already in the midst of the story. Jesus has already been taken into custody. He's already been falsely tried, illegally tried and condemned. Uh, he is... Uh, making his way to uh, the cross in verse 17 and bearing and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha <clears throat> where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and in, in the writing was Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews this title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, <clears throat> among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Look down at verse 30, and when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And again, this morning we speak on the thought, near 
the cross. Let's pray. Father, we one more time stop. And Lord, as we pause just to ask once again that you would speak to our hearts, that you would illuminate your word, Lord, transport us this morning in our minds and our hearts back to this time. May we not hear the words of a pastor, but may we see the face of our Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand or to be reminded of some of what you did for us. Lord, I pray that our faith would be strengthened. I pray that we would be convicted of our sin. I pray that you would draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Tita Witt Talmadge years ago wrote, The Cross. Poets have sung its praise. Sculptors have attempted to commemorate it in marble. Martyrs have clung to it in the fire. And Christians dying quietly in their beds have leaned their heads against it. May all our souls embrace it with ex an ecstasy of affection. Lay hold of that cross, O dying sinner. Everything else will fail you. Without a strong grip of that, you perish. Put your hand on that, and you are safe through the world, though the world swing from beneath your feet. Oh, that I might engrave on your souls ineffaceably the three crosses, and that if in your walking, waking moments you will not heed, then that in your dream tonight you might see on the hill back of Jerusalem the three spectacles. The right-hand cross showing unbelief and dying without Christ. The left-hand cross showing what it is to be pardoned, while the central cross pours upon your soul the sunburst of heaven, as it says, by all these would I plead for thy heart. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Rivers cannot quench it. The floods cannot drown it. You see, it is the cross that is the symbol of God's love. It is the cross that is the symbol of man's hope. It is the cross that gives us the certainty of our eternal abode. There is no question today and the heart of those that believe and understand the truths of the Word of God. It's all written down for us. But what I need every morning is to be reminded to return to that cross. It was at the cross that I found Christ. It was at the cross where Christ found me. It was at the cross where I laid my burden of sin down. It was at the cross where I found forgiveness. It was that and because of the cross that God has removed my sin and cast it away as far as the east is from the west and has himself forgotten them. It is the place where uh, God demonstrated his love to mankind. And what I need is to not remember it once a year. What I need is to remember it every day. Amen. The cross keeps my life focused. It's what keeps me wrapped around in my mind's eye on what's truly important. I, the longer that I see the cross, and when I, uh, or, or when I no longer see the cross, rather, I soon forget what is important in life. When I get wrapped up in what I think people need, I have to remind myself that all that we really need is Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is on his cross that God demonstrates his love toward us. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here this morning not to exalt man, but to exalt the Lord Jesus. We come and understand that we sing songs about the cross. 
We hear on a regular basis sermons about the cross. Some wear a cross around their necks. Some will hang pictures of a cross in their homes and office spaces and their walls. But how long, my friends, has it truly been since you were at the foot of that old rugged cross? How long has it been since you knelt and gave your sin to Christ and didn't pick it back up when you walked away, but you left it there because he had already paid the price? If we lived on Monday, what we sang on Sunday, how different would our world be today? You see, what we need as God's people and what the world needs from us as God's people is not that we become more polished, it's not that we wax more eloquently, it's that we walk and stay near the cross. It's that we wrap our hearts around God and that we allow God to wrap his heart and his love and arms around us. The first thing that I would say this morning is that when I come near the cross, I see God's love. You see, we see crosses everywhere, what, but what is that message really? The world sees a cross out on the hillside and along the road and the highway. The, the world sees crosses out in front of church buildings and they have some concept that a man named Jesus died on one of those. And they may even have some concept that, he, uh, that, that it was for them. And they may or may not have accepted that at some point in their life. But do they really understand the depth? Do they really understand the meaning and what the message of that cross uh, truly is? And what I would say first of all this morning is that in the message of the cross, the first thing that it demonstrates to us is the love of God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, or God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait to demonstrate that love until we demonstrated that we desired that love. He did not wait to demonstrate that love until we desired that we understood our need for that love. He loved us with an everlasting love, whether we needed it, whether we understood that we needed it, or whether we accepted it or not. We have been loved in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 3, the old prophet said, that the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The love of God, my friends, not only has provided for us the sacrifice and the atonement for our sin and to give us the gift of eternal life, but it has drawn us to it. It has drawn us to the Savior. It has drawn us to the one that gave so much for us. Near the cross, I see that love of God. First thing that I would say about the love of God here is that God's, uh, that God's love led God's son to the cross. Jesus did not go there because he was bored. He did not go there because he wanted to experience what his creation experienced. He did not go there because he had nothing better to do. He went there because he loved you and he loved me. He went there because it was the only way that man could be brought back into fellowship with his creator. It was the only way that the wrath of God and the justice of God could be satisfied. And God in his mercy and his grace and his love was willing to bear that burden and to become our sin that we might find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15 and verse number 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
He loves us this morning. When we see the cross, we should be reminded of the love of God. We should be reminded that God's love is demonstrated on that cross. That he came there willingly of his own free will to restore what we broke. To, to fix what we ruined, to purify and to cleanse and to make whole again what we had torn down and destroyed. God's love led his son to the cross. He did not go because uh, he just simply needed to uh, try to figure out a way. He knew the way. He was the way. And he is the way. God's love led him there. The second thing that I would say is this, is that God's love paid the debt for every man. We look at an old poem by Bob Jones Jr. who years ago penned the words, uh, The shame that he suffered left its brand, its gaping wound in either hand. Since penalty he deigned to meet has torn and scarred his blessed feet. The condemnation by him born marred his brow with print of thorn. Trespass and guilt for which he died have marked him with a ribbon side. Mine was the shame, the penalty. The sin was mine. It was for me he felt the nails, the thorns, the spear. For love of me, the scars appear in his hands and feet and side and brow. Beholding them, I can but bow myself a living sacrifice to him who paid so dear a price. Would we take that love and cast it away? Would we take that love and use it to our salvation and then not reciprocate that love back to God? Would we be so cold and so callous, so selfish and so hardened that we could look up at God and say that I want your forgiveness and I want your gift, but I'm not willing to uh, show any appreciation for it or give any of my life back to you. God's love brought God to the cross, brought Jesus there to pay our sin debt. And while he was there, God's love paid the debt for every man. And verse 30 in our text, when he said, Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Everything that was necessary to be done, everything that had to be completed, every scripture that had to be fulfilled, every drop that had to be spilt, everything that was needed in order to re reconcile man to God and God to man to give us the eternal life that he promised to bring restoration to bruise the head of the crush the head of the serpent to do what was necessary was done by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross not because uh, of any other primary reason than the fact that he loves you it's hard for me to fathom such love it's hard for me to understand that someone would be willing to love so much. We uh, have love in the context of our families. The families are in such shambles today that it's hard to understand and appreciate God's love. With every breakdown in familial love comes into our hearts and our minds a breakdown in the love of God and our understanding of it. But when we love uh, and when we share a life together for a lifetime, that love uh, is, is an odd thing today. It is a rare thing today. It's something that's unusual today, but not as unusual to the human mind as the love of God that never leaves, that never forsakes, that never, uh, that never turns out, that never betrays, that is always present uh, in every life. He loves us this morning. Amen. In spite of our sin, in spite of our selfishness, in spite of our, uh, of our unwillingness to obey him, in spite of our, the dishonor that we bring upon his name, in spite of the reasons the blast that we give our enemies, his enemies to blaspheme him, he still loves us. God's love brought him to the cross. Fanny Crosby wrote many years ago, Jesus, keep me near the cross 
there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. And we see this morning that when we're near the cross, the first thing that we should see is the love of God. When we look up at that cross, we should be reminded before we're reminded of anything else that Jesus loves me, that God the Father loves me. The second thing that I should see when I see that cross and when I'm near it is God's lamb. That cross is empty today, but it wasn't always empty. Amazing. That cross is empty now, but, uh, and at one point it had no stains, but today it's bloodstained. When we look and we see uh, that lamb, we see a lamb uh, that fulfilled what God, what was necessary to satisfy the wrath and the justice of Almighty God. You look back at the Mosaic law and you understand the process of the sacrifices that were meant to be a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and understand that in this crucifixion moment, this is the Passover and at the moment in which Jesus was offered and was on the cross and gave up the ghost is the hour in which that atonement lamb for the nation was, was slain and sacrificed at the temple. Uh, that God brought all of those prophecies to fruition and showed and demonstrated that Jesus Christ is his lamb. But not any lamb would do. When you go back and you understand what they went through, they had to go through a process to select the lamb. They couldn't just go out into the field and say, oh, that one looks good. It had an age requirement. It had a gender requirement. It had uh, a requirement as to, as to how it was marked and colored. If it was spotted and speckled, uh, the, the Lamb of God is a, and the sacrifice for our sin could not be spotted and speckled with sin. He had to be a pure lamb. He had to have a pure coat. He had to meet the requirements. They would go out and they would examine. He couldn't be halt or lame. He couldn't walk with a limp. He couldn't have a splinter or a, a sheared off hoof. He couldn't have any noticeable defect uh, that could be observed by, uh, by man. And they would spend up to two weeks out in the field. And they would spend it with the flock. And they wouldn't come in at night. They wouldn't bed down the flock and ignore them. They were observing. And they were watching. And they were, they were selecting the most worthy lamb that they could possibly select for the atonement of the sin atonement offering and sacrifice for their family the following year. They would select that lamb and bring it home. That lamb was sacred to them. That lamb was brought into the house. That lamb was given a name. That lamb was a pet that was loved. It was someone that, it was an animal that was not uh, just out in the yard, but it was one that was doted over. It was one that was petted. It was one that was uh, loved on. And it was one that uh, when it would have to be put down, that would cause them great sacrifice. When it came time for that sacrifice annually, and they made that trek from their homes to the temple at Jerusalem, the whole family had to go. They couldn't go uh, just the head of the household. Everyone had to be there. This lamb was not being offered for the sins of one. This lamb was being offered to atone for the sins uh, of, the, of the family. And they would go down to that place and they would stand in the gate uh, or at the gate of uh, at the temple looking in uh, at that outer courtyard where the altar was. And they would go in the head of the household to that outer courtyard with that lamb carrying that loved pet, that loved lamb in his arms and then looking back at the family, the lamb going, uh, not fighting, but trusting the one who bore it. As the family stood there looking in with tears running down their face, 
as their beloved lamb had his head lifted by the priest as the father or the head of the household took a knife and reached out and sliced its throat. And another priest caught the blood and then took charge of the sacrifice and carried it to the altar and made offering, a burnt offering on that altar to Almighty God to pay for the sins of that family for another year until the Lamb of God came and paid for the sins of, of his people for all of eternity. Amen. That was the process. The sacrifice meant a great deal to them. The sacrifice and the feeling of loss was tremendous to them. They grieved the loss of that lamb. They grieved as they selected. Can you imagine bringing that lamb into your home knowing its end? Knowing throughout that year as you couldn't help but have your heart wrapped around it and your love for it growing, knowing that it would have to be sacrificed for you. That this was not the, uh, just a random lamb from the field, but this was your most valuable lamb. This was your, represented your greatest potential for profit and a single animal as you would go through the next year uh, taking your sheep to market and raising them uh, to make your living. This was a special lamb. This was a sacred lamb. But there's no lamb more sacred than Jesus Christ. There is no lamb greater than the lamb of God. And in Revelation chapter 5, in verses 12 and 13, uh, we find the angels exalting the Lamb around the throne, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. What we talk about this morning is that this Lamb uh, on that cross so many years ago was not just a random Lamb. It was not just a random man. It was not someone who was, uh, who was just uh, the best that God could find. It was the perfect he was the perfect, pure, and spotless image and person of God, made manifest in the body of mankind. 100% a man, yet 100% God. He hung there on that cross with our sins being pressed upon him until he actually became our sin. And the wrath of God was poured out upon his broken body because of our sin. I'm not talking about some wicked, gross sin that was thousands of years ago. I'm talking about the sin that we committed this morning, uh, the, the thoughts that never even left our mouth, the, the, the attitude that we, uh, that we come to worship Him with, the way in which we go about representing Him in the world at large, the, the way that we lose control of our emotion, the way that we give in and succumb to the wants and the desires of our flesh, that we on a daily basis, all of those seemingly little things, are the reason that he was compelled and driven to a cross up Calvary's hill. That's why he hangs there. That's why he bore upon himself our sin. We have such a watered down, diluted view of sin today that it's hard for us to comprehend that the cost of that sin to God. But I'm telling you this morning that a, a maimed lamb, a speckled lamb could not have been accepted by God because the price was too great. 
The price that had to be paid was too high. He had to be a perfect lamb. He had to be a worthy lamb. He had to be the God-man offering himself on Calvary's cross. Understand this morning that I see that cross and I understand and experience the love of God. But the love of God was made manifest in the lamb Jesus Christ as he bore upon himself the sins of the world worthy to be accepted by God in heaven. That great judge and authority, that great ruler of the universe, that great holy one who could not allow imperfection to enter into his presence, looked at Jesus on the cross and said, you're perfect and in you I can make man perfect again. A worthy lamb. But not only was that lamb worthy, that lamb that was selected from the field had little chance, had no way to say no. That lamb that was selected by the family in the field, if it went willingly, it was only because it ignorantly trusted the one not understanding what was happening to it. But Jesus fully understood. Amen. Jesus knew what the price was going to be. Was. He knew what was required. He knew what had to be done. And in John chapter 10 and verse 15, and down through verse 18, he says, uh, as he gives us the discourse on the good shepherd here. As the father knoweth me, even so know I the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep have I which are not of this fold, speaking of the Gentiles. Them also I must bring, and that they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. My friends, this morning we must remember that he did not go to the cross because he was forced to, but he went to the cross to pay our sin debt willingly. Love drove him there, but love brought him there willingly. He did not resist. He did not fight. He did not refuse. He did not look and say they're not worth it. He didn't look and say in that moment of anguish, Father, send the angels. He simply became our sin and paid the price. Why? Because not only was the lamb worthy, but the lamb was willing. Fanny Crosby also wrote, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Remember them. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows o'er me. How long, my friends, has it been since we walked a day with the cross shadowing our lives? How long have we walked into the shadow of that cross? How long has it been since we spent one day engulfed by the weight of the cross on the Lamb of God? How long has it been since we remembered the sacrifice? How long has it been since we tried in our mind's eye to replicate the suffering and the pain that it took to bring us to salvation. Near the cross, we see God's love, but the love of God was manifest in the Lamb of God, that willing and worthy sacrifice. Thirdly, this morning near the cross, I receive eternal life. You cannot receive it, my friends, any other way. There is no other name under heaven by where we must be, must be saved than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can be saved. No sin can be atoned. No salvation can be given without the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, God told us plainly that the life was in the blood, that the blood was sacred. And we see manifestly that the spiritual life is found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so as we uh, understand that and the sacrifice made, we come to understand that eternal life is found in the Lamb's blood. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. That sin cannot be forgiven. That sin cannot be taken away. That sin cannot be done away with without the shedding of blood. Eternal life was found in the lamb of the, of the lamb's blood. And Jesus' blood is in fact the remission for our sin. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 28 in the upper room, as they remembered, Jesus said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. My friends, we have forgiveness in Christ because of the cross. We understand the love of God because of the cross. It's all possible because the Lamb was worthy and we can receive eternal life if we'll accept that cross. Three crosses stood on Calvary's hill, B.F. Dotson wrote, surrounded by a mob. Two crosses bore the dying thieves and one, the Lamb of God. Two crosses, the, the, two crosses bore two dying thieves who justly suffered shame. The one cross bore God's sacrifice, the lamb for sinners slain. One thief received the dying lamb, repented of his sin. The other thief refused to hear and did not enter in. And one thing that you can be sure of in this life is that if I do not trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and accept his forgiveness for my sin, if I do not come to him in repentance, I will never come into the presence of God. I will spend an eternity cut off in a lake of fire. Not because God is cruel, not because that's what God desired for me. My friends, Jesus died for every sin. Every sin has been paid for. Every sin that is represented in the lake of fire for all of eternity is there having had its debt paid for, but the ticket was refused. The gift was refused. Amen. The sacrifice was refused. Don't refuse this morning the drawing of God in your heart. Don't refuse the drawing of God in your soul. Don't refuse the turning on of that light that I am a sinner. And without Christ, I will spend eternity separated from God. But with Christ, I'll spend eternity in His presence with my Father. Near the cross, I find eternal life. But not only did we find eternal life there... But our sins were removed there. We come and we understand that we received that eternal life, that Jesus took that sin away. Fanny Crosby put it this way, near the cross, a trembling soul. I think today that the gospel that we preach has no trembling to it. Because we've so minimized and, and diluted our sin and we've so diluted our image and visage of God that we do not understand. But if we understood the, the this power of our sin, and if we understood the cost to God, and we understood how justly we deserve to be punished, that how could we not walk into His presence trembling? Near the cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. And there the bright and morning star sends His beams around me. He came and sought me out. He came and found me. Love drew me. 
He gave his life for every sin. He gave his life for every person. No one uh, should die without him. All of us should live in victory this morning. And I'm just simply saying today, as we prepare for the wonderful resurrection Sunday next week, that we look back at what Jesus paid on the cross in these next few days ahead and understand that when I come near that cross and look up, I should see that God loves me. When I look at that picture, that image on the screen, what I should see is the love of God. I see God coming to me in my sin and offering a way for that sin to be atoned. And he's worthy to do so. It's, there's a lot of times that I wish I could do something for someone. There are a lot of times that I wish I had a way to meet their need. There are a lot of times that there was somebody that I wish that I could just make everything in your life better. And make everything in my life better. But I don't have that ability. I don't have that power. In some cases, I might not be worthy. I might not have the expertise. I might not have the training or the ability or have the confidence of those that would have to empower me. But Jesus was worthy. Amen. He stands worthy. Amen. The love of God would mean nothing if the Lamb of God were not worthy. The love of God would be an idea that would appease us and make us feel good. But it's the worthiness of the Lamb that brings it to life that imputes it to our life, that wraps his arms around us. Near the cross this morning, we receive eternal life. Eternal life found in the Lamb's blood and Jesus' blood bringing remission of our sin. Lastly, this morning, we see that near the cross, we find liberty. Near the cross, we find liberty. John chapter 8, verse 32. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. But what are we free from? Oh, well, pastor, that means I'm free to just go out and do what I want. Oh, Jesus, I see the cross up there. That means you love me. I see the cross. That means that, well, you, you sacrificed, you died, you suffered, you became my sin and, and satisfied God's justice and wrath. I understand that's the truth and I know it. I'll accept that. And then I'll go do what I want. That's not freedom. That's ingratitude. Freedom, liberty, is not a freedom from responsibility. Is it a freedom to fulfill that responsibility? The liberty that we enjoy as Americans should be exercised to uphold the values of our founders. You can't even say American values anymore because... The world's changed them and distorted them, corrupted them to be an ungodly system of values. But the values upon which we were founded are Christian values, Amen. are Jewish values. In other words, they're the values of God from his word. Amen. And when we understand that liberty is the is the avenue that we have to live and to uphold those values, then we walk in liberty. Liberty does not mean that I can divorce myself from the commands and the principles of God's word and say the name Jesus a lot and somehow that be acceptable to God. Liberty means that I'm free to exercise my faith in the manner which God has demonstrated to me that he wishes to be worshiped. Near the cross, I find that liberty. The first thing that it set me free from was the bonds of my sin. And my friends, there is no weight so heavy as a burden of sin. 
Well, Pastor, I don't feel the burden of sin. It's because you don't understand your sin. No person that understands their sin can escape its burden. We have a hard, I understand that the, the public at large today has a hard time understanding the concept of sin and the burden that it bears and the weight that that is upon you. Most have no conscience. Their consciences are seared or their consciences are just been, everything's been so made so light of that we uh, just everyone do what you want and it'll be fine and how dare you say it's wrong. Uh, but the reality is, is that someone that come, becomes aware of their sin and becomes aware of its cost becomes aware of what it's done to this earth and to the soul of humanity. When we understand, we understand that our sin then becomes heavy. When we take responsibility for that sin, when we bear the burden of that sin, when we stop making excuses for that sin, and we come under the weight of that sin, the cross becomes a very attractive thing. Why? Because that's where we go to have the burden lifted. Most today will reject the message because they simply don't feel the burden. They're not walking in the weight of their sin. They have no understanding of the concept of it. Many walk willingly in ignorance, rejecting truth. But the reality is this morning is that every person is born with a yoke of sin upon them. And the heavier, the longer we live without Christ, the heavier that burden becomes. And when we become aware of that burden, we begin to look for a place to lay that burden down. And the only place that we can be set free from that burden is the cross of Christ. Would you be free from your burden of sin? We sing about that power in the blood of Jesus. Free from the bonds of sin. That sin that shackled us, that chained us, that sin that, that locked us to our, our destiny of destruction. Jesus has come and taken the shackles off. He has come and loosed the bonds. We become free from the weight of that sin. There's no weight of guilt. There's no need to walk around bearing that guilt and the shame of our sin because God has forgiven it and has forgotten it. Free from the weight of that sin and then free for, for, to serve my Savior. You this morning are free, if you choose to be, from the burden of your sin. And you are free this morning, if you choose to be, from the weight of that sin. And you're free this morning if you'll let those things go to serve God. We were created for his pleasure. We were created to glorify him. We were created to walk in his presence and to do anything less will leave us empty and hollow and, uh, and unfulfilled. How do I get there, Pastor? How do I come into the presence of God? How do I walk in His presence? How do I begin to understand what it means to have God meet with me and speak to me and talk to me? I would say get a good, fresh vision of the cross. Stay near that cross. Don't forget that cross. Don't let it linger. Don't look at it casually. Stop and take a moment when you pass by the cross and remember that God loves you no matter what. No matter how much you've sinned, no matter how much you've betrayed him, no matter how much you've broken his heart, no matter how much you've rejected him, no matter how much you've cast him aside to pursue your own dreams and ambitions, he still loves you. He still cares for you. And when you look at that cross, what you should see is a God that loves you. Not a God that wants to condemn, not a God that desires to bring judgment, but God that's already brought judgment on that cross on his own worthy sacrifice so that you and I could be forgiven. Freedom. Knowing that that cross is the love of God. 
knowing that near that cross, I then see the Lamb of God. I'm reminded of the cost of my sin. I'm reminded of the price that was paid. How dare I, how dare I make light of something that costs God so much? How dare I make light of his sacrifice? And the farther removed we become from it, the easier it is to dismiss it and its power and its, and its cost. The farther that I get from the cross, the less I value its impact on me. The nearer I am that cross, the greater the value. I pray one of these days that the Lord will allow me to go to the Holy Land. I would love to have a firsthand experience of walking where Jesus walked. Some of you perhaps have had that blessing. I know many who have. It's amazing how just going to where Jesus actually was, seeing an empty tomb, taking in that hill where he was crucified can change a life. Why? It's not like you didn't know the information before you went. There's just something different about being near. There's just something different about coming close. How long has it been, my friend, since you drew nigh to the cross of Christ? Since you sincerely, desperately, urgently tried and sought to draw close to God. Find the Lamb. I see this morning when I look up at that screen across three crosses. One reminds us of those that will reject Him and spend eternity in hell. One reminds us of those that have trusted Him as we have and will walk with Him in eternity. And one reminds us that He loved us enough to make it possible. And, and that one reminds us that He was worthy to make it possible. That it wasn't just a dream, that it wasn't just an aspiration, that it wasn't something that he hoped he could do. It was something that he literally had the power and the ability to do because he was worthy. To realize that that blood that stains that cross, the blood that ran down that post, the blood that dripped from his head and his hands, the blood that dripped from his back, that stained the ground below, the blood that they watched pour from his body was for you and for me. That it was life. And when his life ended, ours began. When his life stopped, when his heart ceased to be, life began to stir in the spirit of man. The life that had died in the garden and when he rose from that grave and his heart began to beat again and his eyes opened and he stood up and death and hell were conquered and he rose victorious, he gave to us the ability to live a victorious life. To waste such a sacrifice. The question for us this morning is, first of all, have I come to that cross and received the gift? Do I know I'm part of God's family? Have I found forgiveness of my sin? Have my sins been remitted? Am I walking as a child of God? And secondly, what am I doing with my liberty? Am I wasting the sacrifice of Jesus this morning? Does my life make light of his sacrifice? Does my commitment to him cause him grief? So, Pastor, what do you mean? I mean this. I mean that when Jesus gave himself completely on the cross, 
He gave us complete freedom from our sin. That means that he gave us the ability to live an abundant life. The Christian who does not fully realize the abundant life that God has made available to them in their life has wasted some of his sacrifice. We've let it sit idle. He did not save us to just sit in a pew. He did not save us to not make a difference in the world around us. He did not save us to remain the way that we were. He did not save us to bring him down to man's level. He did not save us to disrespect and dis to dishonor him with the way that we worship and the way that we conduct his business. He saved us that we might live an abundant life. And that abundant life he empowers. And until I fully realize that, I've let part of what he's done for me go to waste. I don't want to waste God's gift. I don't want to waste his sacrifice. I certainly enjoy the fact that I know that I have understand enough of it to know that I'm on my way to heaven. And that part is forever mine. But I want to go there having Jesus greet me one day saying, you got it all. You used my sacrifice to its fullest. My sacrifice for you, you employed. Are you near the cross this morning? Have you spent enough time with God where you feel the presence of God with you? Have we walked with him? Have we understood him? Can we say with Fanny Crosby that near the cross I'll watch and wait? Hoping, trusting, ever? Till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul can find rest beyond the river.